Konnichiwa, and welcome to the Code of the Cardboard Samurai, a podcast all about Magic the Gathering in Japan. In this podcast, our goal will be to inform people both around and outside of Japan what is going on in the magic scene here. I'm your host, Ryan Schwenk, the Japan hobbyist out of Yokohama, and I'm joined by uh, my good friend and co-host, Daniel O. Strander, you got yeah, you got it. That, that's it. Uh, okay. Excellent, man. Yeah, great. So yeah, yeah, he's one of the original cardboard samurai from Nagoya. I prefer Ronin. I feel like I'm I'm, I'm okay. relatively masterless. Okay, so uh, today uh, we have a special guest. Yes, we do. A very special guest. Uh, um, I've been listening to his show for quite a while, and I'm really excited to have him on the show. Um, I'm going to go ahead and introduce him if that's okay with Ryan. He is a member of the Cartel Aristocrats podcast and a nomadic financier who gallivants around the world buying and selling Magic the Gathering cards for Tales of Adventures, a store out of Pennsylvania, all the way from the Mythic Championship Weekend in London. Please welcome to the show Mr. Ed Nguyen. Hey, how's it going, guys? Konnichiwa, Ed. Good morning. So, yeah, let's start off, let's start off by having you just kind of give us a short introduction about yourself. Uh, yeah. Maybe give us a few more details. Uh, yeah, so um, I'm one of the co-hosts of Cartel Aristocrats. Like Ben mentioned, it is uh, an MTG Finance podcast. We record every week on Monday at roughly 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, depending on our travel schedules, we sometimes push it back or push it up to uh, either middle of the weekend. That's fairly rare. More likely it gets pushed back to Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, I also vend a lot of GPs with uh, Tales of Adventure, which is a store out of um, Allentown, uh, Pennsylvania. And can you tell us a little bit about your relationship to Japan? Like, how, how, how is this connected to our podcast? Maybe you can give us a little bit of your Japan history. Uh, yeah, I have... Uh, started doing this more recently in regards to going to Japan. My first trip to Japan was uh, Grand Prix Chiba in November 2016. That was the big legacy uh, Grand Prix that Haruya hosted. Um, since I, I remember that one. Yep, that was definitely one of the larger ones. Um, uh, since then, I've basically been at every single Japanese GP. Um, that so- is a- that is a lot of traveling. It is a lot of traveling. I I more or less do this full time as a GP vendor, so I'm pretty much at every single uh, GP slash Magic Fest uh, out there. Okay, and uh, I had one more question. Um, could you kind of tell us when you got into like MTG Finance? Like how how long? You said you've been you've been doing it for the store back in uh, Allentown, but. Like, uh, what got you interested in MTG Finance? Uh, so I'll, I first started playing Magic in 1996. Um, that was more or less just, you know, low-key kitchen table, um, playing with friends after school type thing or during school in the cafeteria. Um, mm-hmm. My real first experience into MTG Finance was when we when I started dealing on MOTL, which is, this is going to make me sound really old, but it is uh, short for the Magic Online Trading League. This was basically an online forum for people to buy, sell, and trade. And um, this was done before Facebook even existed. We're talking early 2000s. Mm. Um, it was basically just a forum similar to like MTG Salvation, which apparently still exists, um, which I found out, only found out about recently. Um, but you'd basically make posts, people would respond, and then you would just trade accordingly. You build up references similar to eBay or whatever, and then based on whoever has higher references, you would just send out your cards and trade or whatever. Um, but I did that for a while, just online. Uh, I was a little too young to be going to card stores. My parents weren't thrilled about the idea of magic, um, so most of, hmm. so most of my dealings were online. Um, when I started going to college, I would buy and sell cards from my dorm room as just another means to pay for college. Um, mm-hmm. And then once college got done, I started doing it much more. I started uh, going to GPs more and more often. Um, 
And then once I realized that playing just did not make sense in terms of um, my time. Financially. For financially, in terms of getting a good amount of equity on my time, then it I just mm-hmm. I just kind of delved into just doing it full time, more or less. Mm. So you do more finance than playing these days? I basically play zero. I don't really own cards personally anymore. Um, I just... Everything I do is just kind of EV-oriented, which is a little unfortunate in terms of how much I can enjoy the game, as it were. But, mm-hmm. like, again, it just it just means I don't have to deal with the highs and lows, having to worry about cards being reprinted and causing my collection to tank, mm-hmm. or having to deal with... Mm-hmm. Uh, with kind the of... The money pit that is standard? Yes, more or less. <laughs> yeah, so, so if our uh, listeners haven't guessed yet, uh, today's topic is going to be on MTG Finance in Japan. I think it's a very interesting topic. There's a lot of, of stuff to talk about. So let's, let's jump right into uh, our, first, uh, our first topic here. And I want to talk a little bit about the business side of MTG in Japan. So if people are going to come to Japan you know, and, you know, they want to buy or they want to sell. Let, let's talk a little bit about our experiences doing that in Japan. So let's start off by talking about how to sell or how to buy stuff in stores or online. Like, can you guys give us any tips or suggestions, uh, you know, to, to kind of help people do that if they come to visit or if they're coming from, like, a small store and coming into, like, Tokyo or something? I'd love to hear Ed, so, uh, Ed's uh, opinion on this because as someone who lives here, I feel like, you know, uh, I'm really – because Ed's a professional at this, so I'd like to let let Ed tackle that one first. Yeah, so let's, let's start off with stores. Let's talk about what it's like to buy and sell stuff in stores here. Do you have any experience with that, Ed? Uh, yep, yep. Uh, so it is um, – for any listeners, so like this applied to me when I first came here. Uh, being an American, obviously the culture is very different in Japan. Um, trading is obviously is not a thing. That's not something people do in store. People don't sit down with binders, open it up, and trade with each other in store. That's mm-hmm. for the most part. That's generally forbidden. Um, uh, this is kind of more of a universal thing in Japan. But using your cell phone in store isn't really appreciated. So a lot of stores don't let you take pictures of their showcases. Um, yeah, when I when I first moved here, that wasn't such an issue. But then in the last I guess eight years they they will walk up to you and they'll be like no you can't you can't take pictures of our prices you can't check prices online please put your phone away and it was it was quite it was quite a shock to me in the states you're allowed to do that correct yes yes okay yeah I still do it anyways I don't care <laughs> I, I think not necessarily every place cares uh, obviously places will care if you're like talking on your phone but if they if they mm-hmm. see you act like trying to take pictures of their showcases and they're like pricing information i think that's when they they'll they'll say something um uh so and then the other biggest difference is that almost every store they very publicly post their um buy list usually you just see Mm -hmm. you just usually you just see like depending on some stores like yellow submarine that's probably the store that i think about the most their entire like outside is more or less just plastered with paper buy lists that say mm-hmm. like yeah. wanted, and then it'll just say like a picture of the card, and then the price, and then just a giant spreadsheet of like every card in the most recent set type thing. When they're just trying to buy as much as they can. It's really funny mm-hmm. that you mentioned Yellow Submarine as the as the as the shop that you go that you think of the most because here Yellow Submarine's kind of an afterthought. Uh, it's not it's not as big of big of a store here in Nagoya as it is in the other larger cities. Uh, we yeah. we more Tokyo t- has a super arena. It's like space for like 170 people it's crazy that's amazing yellow submarine here is just kind of it's kind of i don't know it's it, a lot of the locals we we make fun of it because they're it's a tiny place it's it's crazy overpriced cards uh hardly anyone goes there but that's neat that they have this humongous store in tokyo yeah they get a decent selection in yokohama as well but anyways we're talking about how to buy and how to sell yeah, <laughs> yeah so i i think i like mentioned again some of those were like the cultural differences that people might not be aware of so in terms of mm-hmm. like directly like buying and selling, for example, when it comes to selling, um, 
I my experience in some stores has been uh, if I've been trying to sell cards, I've been turned away mainly because they don't have their magic buyer on hand that can necessarily deal with it. Um, yeah, it obviously kind of that's a that go ahead go ahead. I was gonna say that that's a good point. So um, most stores in Japan are not magic only stores. No, that's definitely not true. That's definitely true. So. So yeah, like you said, if the magic person's not there that day, you might have to come back another time yeah. and and sell then. Yeah, a lot of the stores in Japan, like they had mentioned, uh, magic is definitely it's one of those things that has grown rapidly over the years. But when you compare it to mm-hmm. Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, a lot of the Japanese-only TCGs, um, yeah. mm-hmm. like magic just isn't quite as big. So they usually have a more or less a dedicated buyer, someone who has the knowledge, who has the experience. Yeah. That that is there with the intention of, you know, buying cars, especially if you're trying to trade in something, like old school mm-hmm. legacy power duels, etc. Um, they'll usually defer you to their expert um, mm-hmm. when you're trying to sell stuff. So I think we should also uh, kind of talk about what you need to sell stuff. Oh yeah, to this a store, is so. this is very different here as than it is in the states. Well, you can sell stuff. I think most people don't think they can probably sell their cards when they come and visit Japan, but all you really need is either a passport, or if you're living in Japan, if you have like a foreigner card or your visa or something like that, you can also show that. Yeah, you have to, you have, to, have, a, you have, to have ID, and I think it has to be photo. Yeah, photo ID. Although I've been to places in the States where they required photo ID, mostly uh, sh- shops that deal in, in uh, quick turnovers, and they're afraid that they're mm-hmm. if you're selling stolen merchandise... Uh, but in but a lot of card shops in the states don't require uh, photo ID. At least the last time I was there, it is it is slightly different in the states. Uh, it depends on how you register your business. Um, for pawn shops, that's something they have to be very very strict about, especially because you know a lot of it is they do deal with the potential of having stolen goods or whatever. And I imagine mm-hmm. that it kind of stems from that. I know that Japan they have very strict laws when it comes to selling secondhand items. So I imagine mm-hmm. that's why you know that, that, that's why every store will certainly ask for some passport information that they'll take down when you're trying to sell yeah. things. Yeah, so bottom point, you can sell if you're visiting Japan for a short time and, you know, maybe the exchange rate's really bad, but you got some high money magic cards, you know, you can come over and make some money that way. Yep. Um, how about buying? Is buying rather painless in Japan, like when you're going shopping and you want to buy something? Uh, there again, it's one of those things where there's a lot of just cu- kind of cultural norms that um, that do take some getting used to. For example, um, stores don't seem to be fond of people trying to buy out all their cards. A lot of places I seem to, mm. I seem to be limited to four. Um, yeah, it's definitely one of those that's, things. Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say that's true. There a lot of the online stores too. They have a, li- a buy limit of four cards. Yep. And again, I think that's just one of those things where they try to keep it fair. That way, the mm-hmm. you know the maximum number of people have access to um, to the cards. So um, again, if there's definitely plenty of things where I see that the price is right, I just want to you know be buying all of them. It just makes sense to do so. And then yep. usually mm-hmm. you know you're stopped and say, hey, we can only sell you four. Um, mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing. Uh, unlike uh, uh, stores in America, um, that you're starting to see more and more of. Um, in Japan, cards are always priced, whereas in America, a lot of stores they kind of use a dynamic pricing system, and they don't. Mm-hmm. Whenever you try and buy something, that's the opportunity they take to actually look up the price. Um, yeah, and that's that's just kind of the nature of how MTG Finance has evolved over the years. Information is much more readily available. Prices change much more quickly. Um, and prices be, being so dynamic as they are, um, it's just a lot easier for a lot of stores to just um, look up prices when they're inquired about something as opposed to having to deal with um, prices spiking and then potentially selling cards at uh, pre-spiked prices because they didn't have a chance to update them in time. Yeah, that's becoming more common here. A lot of the bigger stores have moved to central computer systems where you, when you go into the store, you, there's, there, there, there's barely anything in the showcase. You go up to the computer screen and you type in the cards you want, and then you tell them how many copies you want, and then they will, they call, they'll call your number and you'll go and pick it up. And that computer system is connected with all the other stores throughout Japan, and their prices are updated a lot more uh, faster. 
So it, it's it's hard it's harder to I guess say game the system, uh, for, especially mm-hmm. with the bigger stores. Yeah, it is. So sorry, just to kind of jump on that. Um, mm. He 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 mentions other stores because a lot of the stores in Japan are uh, major chains. So you have yes. And mm-hmm. which is something that's almost unheard of in America. There's very few stores in America where they there exists more than one location. Most of them have one location and then an online component. Whereas mm-hmm. here in Japan, because online isn't as prevalent, you have a lot of stores uh, like Yellow Summary that we had mentioned previously, Haruya, Big Magic. Uh, these stores yeah. have many, many, many locations across Japan. Yeah, even the small. I mean, like Hobby Station. We were. I was talking. I remember we were talking about Hobby Station last on the last episode. It's this. It's it's not a huge store by any means. There are some large ones, but they are just they are everywhere. Especially in the, in the Aichi area where I live. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, you, you 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 everywhere you go where there's a gaming area, there's a Hobby Station, and it just it just it's massive. And you're like, I never saw that in the states ever. Mom and pop shops only usually. So. So. One thing I wanted to ask you guys real quick. So when you you've sold stuff in Japan before, have you ever like seen one price on the buy list and then when you got up there, they said no, it's this lower price? Has that ever happened to you? Well, if I could jump into that cuz I've ha- I had that issue recently when I when when I shipped off some buy list to a Japanese store, uh they're they're very 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 critical here about uh car condition. Uh so a lot of the times when they when they give you a different price from one that's listed, it's because it's it's a condition thing, and mm-hmm. they'll I mean if they find something that they don't like, they will mark it down to to SP or even HP, and you'll get less money for it. Uh, so you, when you take cards to a Japanese store, if you want that full buy, buy list price, you need to make sure the cards are as in perfect condition as uh, as they need to be to get that full price. Yeah. What's Ed, Ed what's, what's your experience been with that? Uh, the conditioning is definitely much stricter here. Uh, what we would consider to be like in the states when we deal with foreign vendors, what's considered to be Japanese near mint is is definitely a step above what would be passable as near mint on TC Player or when you're buying through mm. Star City or something. Um, it's it's a, definitely a little bit obsessive in terms of how strict they are when it comes to condition. Um, obviously, again, that's just a cultural thing. I it just it goes both ways. I definitely bought cards that were played or LP or something, and then in my mind, they would certainly uh, in the states pass as basically near mint. Uh, there's probably just some minor flaw that just prevents it from being truly near mint. Um, mm. And again, mm-hmm. like Dan had said, um, condition is one of those things that's fairly strict. Um, a lot of the a lot of uh, the buy list, they, especially on the things that um, they dedicate a whole page to it on a piece of paper. It just says wanted. There's one card and mm-hmm. the price. Uh, usually, it's meant more for advertising. I know they generally, especially a lot of the smaller shops, they only buy a few copies of that like premium price, and then they'll drop it down. Um, mm. th- mm-hmm. Yeah, they just want they just want like that particular card, especially if it's something you know really popular. It's you know high velocity standard rare or something. They'll just yeah. put it up again for the advertising, just to kind of entice you to come in because they're hoping that that price is enough to entice you to come in. They'll they'll be able to buy other cards from you. Yeah, yeah. I have totally learned to just walk away uh, from 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 a from a buy situation where if like if if they don't match the price, if my cards in really good condition and they don't match, I'll just I'll just take my cards. I'll walk away. And I've I've had a buyer fall uh, walk go come after me to the door and be like you know i know you're going to go to the other stores but come back here with your final offer because i will i i will match i will match it uh but mm-hmm. i didn't go back because he you know I, he didn't he didn't honor his buy list and i was yeah i was selling some uh place out of mox diamonds at the time so that was they were very easy to unload <laughs> nice um have you guys ever tried to haggle you ever had any success with that in Japan? No, but I'm I'm bad at that in the states, so that that that's that's a non-starter for me. How about you? How about you, Ed? I think it's one of those things where culturally you don't see it quite as much. I think it's again one of those things mm-hmm. that, um, in my experience, has I've started to see more of uh, doing grand prix. I think it's one of those things where, um, in terms of the culture, if you just left people to be, I don't think people would ever haggle. I think now that mm-hmm. I think now that they've had more exposures to foreigners coming in trying to make deals or whatever, um, mm-hmm. more people have started to kind of haggle as a result, both on the buying end and selling end. 
I, you know, people mm-hmm. trying to ask, you know, hey, you offered 2000 there's a store that's offering like 2500 or something, but they said this yeah. copy wasn't nice enough, would you take 22 um, You know, or sometimes, hey, if I make a large purchase, uh, would you be willing to give me, you know, some percentage discount on the price, etc.? Yeah, so in Japan, it never hurts to ask. Right, right. But I I think that most of the people's problems coming over from overseas is that they're not going to speak Japanese or not going to speak enough Japanese to be able to do that. So you'll be kind of restricted to, you know, uh, stores that have English speakers. Which is, so. which is very... Is it more common in Tokyo and Yokohama? Because in Aichi, there's one store that I can think of that has sometimes an English speaker on staff. Yeah, I think there's uh, definitely a lot more people that can understand and speak uh, limited English in the Yokohama and, and Tokyo area. Mm. But still, it's not a lot. It's not, yeah. not as much. All right, well, let's move on to the next uh, part of this. So uh, I also kind of wanted to talk about... Uh, where to go like where are some good places to, to buy cards where have you had you know good experiences uh, so uh, for me um, I actually spend most of my time in Osaka now uh, whenever I come mm-hmm. to Japan that's where my friend store uh, Dragonstar is located they have the majority of their locations mm-hmm. in the Kansai region of Japan mm-hmm. um, so for more or less I obviously have kind of a different relationship I deal with them a lot so they get the majority of my business uh, mm-hmm. in terms of cards I, I'm buying and selling um, the Namba areas in Osaka which is kind of the uh, I guess the Akihabara analog uh, in Osaka yeah it's there's a very very tight cluster of stores I think there's 22 stores in that specific yeah I want to say like half a mile radius more or less um, and you, sh- I want to real quick. I want to say you can find it all on my website www.japanhobbyist.com. <laughs> um, so sorry, please continue. <laughs> yeah. So um, my experience is kind of relegated to there. I have been to Tokyo. I have been to Akihabara. I like do know the stores there. I just don't frequent them as much. Uh, one because I just again naturally don't end up in Tokyo. Um, so I'm much more familiar with the stores in Osaka. But you see a lot mm-hmm. of the same. Um, chains that are consistent with um, uh, stores elsewhere. They have yellow subs all across Japan. There's big magic all across Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dragon Star does have a location in Akihabara as well um, that, I, mm-hmm. that, I, that I went to uh, when I was in Tokyo one time. Um, so, like, again, those are uh, hobby stations. I think those are kind of like the uh, Paruya. Those are kind of the big places mm-hmm. that people naturally think of when they think of Japan stores. Uh, How about you, Dan? Like, where, where would, what would you suggest? What kind of places do you like going one to? One thing I like about shopping for cards in Japan, and uh, Ed mentioned this when he mentioned Akihabara and Namba in Osaka, uh, Japan has these hot spots of otaku culture uh, in almost every major city. Uh, it's Namba in Osaka, it's Akihabara, and a few other tinier ones in Tokyo. But in Nagoya, mm-hmm. it's the Osukanen Shopping Arcade. Everyone knows that's where you yep. go for your manga and your figurines and your your video game uh, stuff. And so mm-hmm. that is where there's just a lot. There's just a very large collection of really great Magic Gathering stores, including our Big Magic, which is a b- great big shop. We have a place called Amenity Dream. It's a, it, it's it's mm-hmm. very popular here. There's hobby stations out here and, and a number of other others that are in this area and it's just great you come out here and they've they got like older shops for like cultural things and they've got all the geek stuff and Osukanen just is the place to go but now because the Nagoya station area is just blowing up it's huge we got all these brand new buildings and shop and and restaurants and shops Be- because of that explosion of business the magic the gathering community in that area is kind of blown up too so that's where the new hallelujah is uh, mm-hmm. Ed mentioned Dragon Star. We just got our first Dragon Star in the same building as uh, Hallelujah. Uh, they also have TCG Shop One Nine Three, which is one of my favorite ones. There's a location in Nagoya and in Osukanen. Uh, there's just it's it's these these little areas that you can go to and you can hit at least five stop five stores in an hour's time. And that that's a good point because I think in the USA usually these stores are so far apart. Oh, I mean, but I mean, in- it's America. There's so much space. Yeah, but like in Japan, I think I was talking to uh, to Ed about this, you know, at the GP the other day. Um, you said there's something like a non-compete clause or something. Uh, yes, because a lot of stores end up in like strip malls. Uh, for example, uh, most uh, 
most uh, the people who own the strip mall, they the landlords. I can't Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Um, they, <laughs> yeah. they they generally. I I'm very jet lagged. I'm here in London. I slept from four to <laughs> four until like ten p.m. or something. So I'm very well, thank you for coming. Yeah, on. very cool <laughs> for you to do this for us. Yeah, no worries. Um, then now apparently I'll be up for the rest of the night or something. Um, <laughs> a lot of these, a lot of these strip malls, the landlords, they specifically have kind of non-complete cause, non-compete clauses written into their contracts, saying that you know, hey, you know, we're here to protect your interests. If you, if there's a card store in the strip mall, we basically won't allow another card store to open up right here. Same, you know, especially when it comes to. Uh, novelty or like very niche businesses mainly just because mm-hmm. a strip mall in America like mainly because of how spread out everything is it just you know it's a small space you just can't have two of the same business and they're just you know just gonna eat you know, eat away each other um, yeah so you know that's one of the things that people aren't quite used to when they come to Japan they're not used to just being able to you know walk around hit up, hit up yeah. yeah walk around 10, 15 minutes and being able to hit up multiple stores. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. That's what's great about Namba. That's what's great about Nagoya. That's what's great about Yokohama, Tokyo, pretty much everywhere you go. Real quick, Ryan, what is the uh, otaku uh, place in Yokohama? What's that area called for Yokohama? No, there really isn't an otaku place. Basically, people just go to Akihabara. Okay, so it's close enough to Tokyo to go to Akihabara. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, it's maybe from Yokohama. It's probably about I don't know thirty, thirty-five minutes on express. Maybe it's not so far. But um, yeah, the Yokohama area just has more of a local scene. Hmm. Uh, there's you know, like you said, there's Yellow Sub, there's uh, Shinjite, there's uh, Yokohama Mint uh, that I usually frequent. The mint uh, that so, does yeah. not serve alcohol, unlike the mint no. in Tokyo. Th- that's only one place. <laughs> there's like seven other mints, oh, and okay. like the only place that serves alcohol is on Shibuya. So. Um, one place I wanted to recommend in Nagoya, though, is the mom and pop place. Is that okay, you think? Or should oh, we keep oh, it no, secret? No, uh, dude, you ruined that years ago when you put it on your blog, and now every okay. time I go in there, I don't go there for deals anymore. You have <laughs> ruined this place for deals. Sorry. That's all right, man. The, I have my other sources. <laughs> so do, do you want, you, you always go there. How about this? Can you introduce yeah, I'm, uh, I'm the store to everybody real quick? Okay, so, uh, there's a place, uh, there's an area in Nagoya called Ozone. It's near the, the dome. Uh, we Nagoya have the, the, the Nagoya yeah. Dome, which is where the dra- our local baseball team, the, the Dragons, play. And it's just down from there, and this place is called uh, Mishimaya. Uh, it is not too far from the station, and this is really cool. The The owner there, it, it is literally a mom-and-pop place. It is owned by a, a, an old married couple, and they've been there for years. And they sell they sell vintage, they sell like, you know... A uh, little little tiny race car, uh, like uh, I can't remember what they call them the the model, model cars, model cars like the and, mo- and model kits, but they have a huge selection of Magic the Gathering cards. But they're not their cards; they sell them for other people through the store. And I can't remember what that's called. What's that called, Ed? Consignment. Consignment. So they yeah. it's all it's all consignment. Everything's con- except for the packs. Every card there belongs to a player who has an account who has put their cards up there for sale, and they have such a good system. Where they stack the cards up, you know, it, they've got they've got the standards, and then they've got the eternal formats, and all mm-hmm. the big cards are in are in the glass case. But then they've got rows and rows and rows by sets of commons, uncommons, rares, and mythics separated by colors. It's brilliant. You just tell them what set you want, what color, what rarity, and they will put the the, the rows in front of you, and you'll go through it and you'll look for the cards. And because it's consignment, and these players don't go there weekly. In the past, you were able to like really snag some pretty good deals. And people don't care because, like, these are cards they just want to get rid of, so they just leave them in mm. the store for, you know, years at a time sometimes. Uh, but b- when Ryan did a really great write-up on the Japan Hobbyist website, uh, I guess this was, like, what, eight years ago? Mm-hmm. And since then, I cannot go in there more than, like, I, I swear every month I go in there, I'm like, hey, man, I, I see a new person there. I'm like, hey, he's like, oh, I'm here for the GP. I just heard about this in the Japan Hobbyist. And they're going through the rows and the rows, and they're pulling out yeah. big, fat stacks of cards. I'm like, well, we, we already got them all. There go all my good <laughs> deals, Ryan. Thanks. We already got them all, man. All the Nagoya people got them all. You guys go there every week. so. But it's really cool. Ed, if you're ever in Nagoya, I would totally recommend checking it out. It's a pretty cool place. It's it's great. It's very it's very unique. And the owner's cool. And, and you know, uh, they're, 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 they don't speak English, but they almost know all the English names of the set. Uh, so you can just tell them what you want. You know, speak you know speak mm-hmm. a little slow. And uh, it's great. I love that place. And that's, that's where the, the Gathering Nagoya meets every Tuesday to mm-hmm. play 
uh, the casual formats like EDH. So definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Okay, um, let's do one more point on this. I wanted to talk about how to look for, for deals. So in your guys' experience, like when you're shopping around, what, what do you look for? Like, uh, you know, how do you compare prices or, you know, like that sort of thing? Like, what is your process for looking for deals when you're shopping for cards? All right, this I want to hear. Ed, I got. I'm I'm, I'm taking notes. Go ahead, Ed. <laughs> um, I think um, it's one of those things that's definitely gone a little bit harder since I started doing it. Um, I know that the um, the market, in terms of just being international, it's become so homogenized, especially with Haruya. Mm-hmm. Um, they've made like a big push over the years to make their a website uh, more foreigner friendly. It's easier to buy from them if you're overseas. Um, they've yeah. recently done like a full revamp on their website. Again, I imagine with the full intention of just um, easier for foreign uh, foreign users. It's you know there's um, you can change it between Japanese and English, um, and as a result, because they're more um, they're more sensitive to this kind of price data. I've noticed that it's become much harder to find deals actually. Especially since the law stores kind of use um, Haruya as a baseline pricing guide, yeah. they know that's true. They know that um, you know if Haruya is raising the price on something, there has to be a reason for it. We might not necessarily know the reason, but we're going to fall suit and raise our price accordingly. Um, yeah. So it's definitely become a lot harder to find deals in my experience. Um, and I think I think Haruya is the only store that I'm aware of that actually ships internationally th- through their website. No, no. Um, I think Tokyo MTG uh, also does it. Okay. I've ordered from them a couple times. Very cool. And maybe Big Magic or Big Web. I'm almost positive Big Web doesn't ship internationally. I deal with them a lot, but I've never noticed. I, I, but I could be wrong about that. Do not quote me. That, but I don't think they ship internationally. I. How about Wisdom Guild? Have you guys used them at all? Yeah, wi- uh, I've I've never had. I don't know if Wisdom Guild ships, but that's a great website, though. Explain Wisdom Guild for everybody, Ryan. Well, I've I've only been to the website a couple of times wisdom guild is basically kind of like the tcg player of japan yeah, it's, I'm guessing. It's, an, There's a, it's an aggregator yeah so a lot of different sellers selling cards mm. and you know it's all in japanese though which is the problem i don't think there's any english interface and it is not a it is not a friendly interface for even for those who speak japanese or read japanese as yeah. it were yeah did you hear, know about that ed i did yes wisdom guild yes. okay Sorry, we I interrupt you, Ed. You were talking about like uh, how to find good deals and the uh, price structure that Hallelujah has been establishing. Yeah, no, no uh, yeah, we we got a little off track there. But again, I think again, because so many stores are kind of privy to um, their national market now, um, it's it's been definitely become much harder to find kind of like the the really like in my mind the good deals. Um, even when I first started in mm-hmm. uh, two thousand. 16 since then it's the the game has dramatically changed it's becoming harder and harder to buy from a lot of different vendors especially because mm-hmm. once kind of the big stores know that like in my case they know that i'm a foreigner and i'm a vendor as well a lot of, a lot of people they kind of have the mentality that if i'm buying from them you know their cards must be underpriced or they I, I must know something that they don't um yeah mm. so i've definitely had a few cards where prices were changed on me on the fly uh the tags <laughs> yeah the, that's never fun yeah, the tag said one thing, I tried to buy it, and they said, oh, we need to charge you, you know, the sticker price plus, like, 20% or something. Um, wow. So that's happened a few times. So so rude. Just walk away. Just do not buy into that. Just walk away. Right, right. Um, that's definitely happened a few times. Um, so um, it is what it is. There's always, you know, there's always, like, kind of the... You just have to be kind of looking towards... The next thing, as it were, the cards that were you were able to buy in 2016, mm-hmm. almost everyone knows about them now. You know, it's just a very common casual cards that everyone wants. That you know, it's just in abundance in Japan. Um, mm-hmm. It's harder and harder to buy those because they know that the, every time you buy them, it seems like the next time you go back, they've raised the price. And then if you buy, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you can still buy it. If you buy it again, they'll raise the price again next time. And then, you know, yeah. you do this a few times, and one, the supply dries up, because they can only restock so often. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And two, you know, it gets harder and harder to buy because they keep raising the price. One, because mm-hmm. supply has dried up, and two, they know that you'll just buy anyways. Yeah. 
So how about you, Dan? Do you have any kind of system that you use to look for deals? Um, I'm mostly deal because I can't leave the uh, because of my, because of my uh, my baby. I don't leave the house very much anymore, so I'm usually up late at night doing the online through Wisdom Guild and and similar websites. But what about uh, before before though? that? I've got two, I've got two things. One, if you're shopping for yourself, do not shy away from the Japanese cards. They are especially the EDH cards. They are generally the Japanese versions are generally very affordable here. If you can put up for, with the language barrier and you can know what the card does through its picture or whatever, then don't shy away from it because you could save some really big money, especially on casual cards, if you'll just settle for Japanese language. Now, that's true at almost every store. The English versions, they've learned that they need to put a premium on EDH staples because they, they earn a premium uh, so, that, so they're more expensive. Uh, also, if you go to these stores, no matter if they're big ones or small ones, don't ignore... The, the, the long rows, they've got these little, pla I say long rows, cause they, but they don't use the cardboard ones so much here. They use the, these little plastic ones, and you just go through them. I mean, they're, they're in no particular order, but usually there's some really good deals in them. Now, I'm not talking like as a vendor. I'm talking like as a private person who comes over here and wants to find some good deals. Don't shy away from the Japanese cards, and don't shy away from the uh, the long rows. Go through them. You mean like the, the, the singles, the... The rare boxes, or yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the the let's call them bargain boxes for lack of a better word. Yeah. Uh, a lot of okay. the stuff in the showcases are going to be uh, priced a as they should, and you're not going to find mm -hmm. a lot of good deals. Although a lot of the bigger stores, they have a tiny sho uh, showcase that's usually near the register, and it's damaged or played cards. And man, those are some really good deals. Uh, the Japanese do not like used things. That's why when you go into any used store here in Japan, you can get some crazy good deals on electronics, mm -hmm. uh, like computers and, and iPhones. But mm -hmm. that, that, that goes with collectibles as well. So when you go into these big stores like Eminity uh, uh, Dream and Big Magic and Hallelujah, uh, they've got these little places where they sell played cards, and the price markdown is huge. So if you are buying for yourself and you don't mind damaged cards or you don't mind Japanese, you can really save a lot of money shopping in Japan for Magic the Gathering cards. I think that's a good segue into the, the next topic, kind of like the history of MTG Finance. Let's talk a little bit about card arbitrage, or arbitrage. I don't know the word. It, I, um, I believe it's arbitrage. Is that how you pronounce that word? Yes. Okay. Yep. What, is ar what is arbitrage, Ed? Uh, so in a vacuum in, bus in business, it simply means the opportunity of buying from one place to sell to another place. Um, and just kind of just kind of mediating that transaction in the middle because you know place A might have something, uh, place B might have demand for something that place A is selling, but they might not necessarily be aware that they exist. So usually you mm -hmm. find people in the middle um, that just kind of act as a middleman to uh, facilitate deals. That's kind of just mm -hmm. that's very simply arbitrage um, in a vacuum, referring to when it comes to business. So. So like Dan was saying, Dan said EDH cards have pretty high arbitrage. You know, if you're willing to buy Buy uh, here and Japanese, sell in the States, yeah. Yeah, pretty high. So have you guys had any other, uh, I don't know, good experiences with card arbitrage in Japan? Like any other formats that really treated you well? Maybe we can start with Ed. Yeah, I'm curious for Ed for like what he brings over here to sell. Because I think I know the answer, but I'm curious what you do best with what you bring over here to sell and flip into things that you bring back to the States? Uh, things that have, um, uh, things that have done well here, um, that just kind of just in a vacuum, just generally. So, uh, dual lands and power are mm -hmm. kind of just, oh, yeah. they're, they're just kind of, you know, just like to go to, everyone knows about those. Um, because again, if you think about it very simply, uh, the first time that magic ever existed in Japan was a printing of fourth edition in Japanese mm -hmm. black border. Mm -hmm. So that's when that's when you see kind of the Japanese black border lightning bolts. That's from that era, um, mm -hmm. and obviously if you look at it, that didn't uh, fourth edition. It wasn't until nineteen ninety five. So every dual land, every piece of power, every old school card, Arabian Nights, Legends, Antiquities, every one of those cards that exists in Japan exists because someone had to bring it in. It had to be imported in at some point in time, mm -hmm. um, and again, naturally as a result, that just that just puts a higher floor on those cards. Um, so I, again, for uh, I know a lot of people have done this a lot longer than I have. A lot of vendors in Japan have gone their start by doing this, and that was simply just them just buying dual lands from America. Um, we're talking back in like 2010. Obviously, Magic was a much smaller game. 
um, cards were just much less um, expensive than they were now. But again, just the volume that people could bring in from overseas, just buying cards from, it just very simply, people would say that they would just take casual cards, they just buy them up here because this was before, uh, before MTG Finance really took off, before you know all the information mm-hmm. was being exchanged. They could just buy up casual cards in volume in Japan, send them off to Card Kingdom, send them off to the Star City, take the trade bump, and then yep. use that to be buying their, you know, the dual lands, the power, etc. Coming to Japan, taking those dual lands, going to stores, trading them into casual cards again, and then just you know rinse and repeat as quickly as you know places could restock on yep. their casual and um, old school stuff, respectively. Yeah. It bears. Yeah, me. I w- go ahead. Go ahead, Ryan. Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna, no, I was gonna say leg- legacies just become huge. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Recently. Yeah. So, like, everyone in the USA is like, oh, Legacy's dying, but Japan's like, okay, just give me your stuff then. Yeah, they love it, and, and, and yeah, duels do fetch quite the premium here, uh, as do, as does anything on the reserve list. So, yeah, Legacy stuff's good um, to to bring over and sell. EDH, EDH stuff is not. It's good to buy. You buy it here, take it's it back. It's good to buy and then sell back, in, you know, overseas. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, standard. Yeah, standard generally does well here. Um Again, I think it's kind of a cultural thing. I think because you have so many stores, you have so many people in a tight area, it's much easier to mm-hmm. um, for standard to fire. I know a lot of stores in the U.S. they kind of suffer on the um, the F and M front trying to fire standard, um, mm-hmm. mainly because you know we're talking about you know you might have in some of the smaller places you might have one store and you might not see another store for like a thirty minute drive or something. Which, mm-hmm. in theory, is great for the store, but that means that, you know, obviously if there's not a lot of stores in the area, you have a lower population density. And yep. in turn, if you have a lower population density, um, you know, you might be hard-pressed to necessarily fire standard if, you know, if your store only gets a X number of people and then you have, you know, only 70% of the people show up, you potentially risk not getting enough people to be able to fire standard or something, whereas... In Japan, I don't think the phrase, you know, low population density exists anywhere. There's just so many people mm. in such a small area. And, you know, one, that allows for a lot of shops to exist. But two, it allows for standard uh, generally to flourish because you have so many people. There's so many places to play. And um, you generally always have standard firing in one form or another. And as a result, because standard has such a high turnover on rares and a higher turnover rate on people... It's very very easy to turn over uh, standard, especially the high demand mythics. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes, definitely the mythics. Um, Ryan, you are kind of on the forefront of frontier. You have been since that that which is you know it was a Japan frontier slash standard plus. Yeah, exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. So, have you been able to turn that that early in that you had for th- to any uh, financial bonuses? Uh, were you able to? Will, I'll have to wait to see until they. <laughs> see how far back standard plus goes i mean mm-hmm. i've been buying like a lot of like kaladesh foils for cheap and i've been buying i'm gonna get foils and stuff for cheap and, and things like that yeah. but yeah you say can't, can't say anything yet. you saved me a lot of money uh when you t- when you were telling trying to get me in the frontier and i'm like he might be right so i went in and i bought a lot of cards for myself that i thought i might want to have in the future and uh, sure enough because of frontier a lot of them shot up uh couple years well, back, because so. they they moved over to modern mm-hmm. like the hardened scales stuff yeah. and you know human stuff you know like all, all those things were super cheap and if you were playing frontier you, you had four or more copies of them and, and then okay they played modern now they've tripled in price yeah. so I know, I know you've taken a lot of flack for being part of the frontier scene but i think when uh, wizards finally announces their their standard their, whatever their standard plus format is i think you'll feel vindicated <laughs> I just hope they go back far enough to make it interesting. Okay. But, but anyways, uh, MTG Finance, Card Arbitrage, I think that's good for the uh, that topic. Let's talk a little bit, though, about price trends. It's kind of continuing with uh, buying and selling. Um, yeah, so would you say that prices of cards, buy list and sell prices, are kind of slow to change in Japan? I think it's just it's one of those things where it just has again rapidly picked up speed. Um, you have more and more Japanese vendors going overseas. You have more and more foreigners coming into Japan. Um, a lot of places are starting to become much more privy about the people that are buying from them. 
So, I mean, even just a very, very simple case, a card that I was able to buy in um, uh, Kyoto, GP Kyoto, like we're talking like mm-hmm. four weeks ago, five weeks ago at this point, um, I was able to buy a certain card from a vendor, and by the time I got back in Yokohama last week, um, the price that they were selling that card at to me in Kyoto is actually their buy price now. Um, and obviously, as a result, their buy so if that's their buy price, their sell price has to be you know twenty percent more or something. Um, mm-hmm. And one, I I think obviously like they know me. I've definitely bought from them before. They I've sold cards to them as well in the states. Um, mm-hmm. Like I obviously this is kind of a vendor vendor relationship, so it doesn't necessarily help a lot of people. But I've developed that rapport with them, and they know you know to be much more sensitive about pricing, especially for things that I'm buying from them. Um, because for me, buying from them, um, they don't necessarily have the uh, 4x rule to me. They know that if I want to buy something, they'll be happy to sell me everything. Uh, obviously, mm. this is reciprocated in the States. If they come up and they say, hey, I want to buy all copies of this, I'm more than happy to oblige. Um, mm-hmm. But again, you know, like kind of, you know, just this knowledge, the fact that it's in place. Um, and it does, again, once one store kind of sets that trend, then it's just you know, every store does the same. Especially if that store thinks that they can make a buck by buying from these other vendors and then reselling to me. Again, that just kind of mm-hmm. causes everyone to kind of roll, the, um, just roll with it and then it just, again, really picks up and makes it, the, the price is just, um, just everyone just kind of is on the same page much more quickly than before. Mm-hmm. That is definitely What do you think, true. Dan? I think... What do you think about the price trends? I, I think that, like Ed said, that the, because, of, because of the... There's so much information available now uh, that the Japanese websites and the stores are catching up much, much quicker. Uh, so those de- the deals you could get with arbitrage five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, uh, they're just they're they're if you, they're such a short it's harder, window. Harder to find. Yeah, yeah. and and like uh, we talk about Hallelujah, how they ship worldwide. Uh, I don't go to Hallelujah anymore. I don't go, I, I don't I don't go to their website anymore because I just know that if something is going to be big. By the time I get to Hallelujah, it's gone. It just—it's all mm-hmm. sold out. Uh, so, but if you can get here and you can do the store circuit, if you can go to Akihabara, I actually skip Tokyo altogether. Ed's right. Yeah. Don't go to Tokyo. There's just too many people there. It's too crowded. It's too confusing. Too many to buyers. Yep. Go to go to Akihabara for, for the fun, but don't go there for the uh, for for business. The deals. Go to Namba yeah. in Osaka. Come here to Nagoya. There's a lot of if you can do that, you can really really clean up a, a friend a, a friend in the group. Uh, a, a really a recent card spike, uh, big in EDH, uh, uh, Smothering Tithe was huge, just huge in the EDH community. Every white deck in EDH will play this card for, for, for from now until forever. So the card, mm-hmm. when it got here, it was just nothing, nothing, yeah. like just tiny, like 19 yen, like 20 cents, yeah, 20 cents, I, that was I it. About like 20 of them. Right, but a friend in the group, he went around to all the stores and just like got nuts. I think he, I think he told me the last night that he like got 100 copies in a day. And I know he wow. did because I went the next day and they were gone. The Japanese copies yeah. were there, but really, EDH, you can't really flip Japanese copies so quickly uh, unless you're, like, one-on-one-ing with, with people at GPs for trade and stuff. Uh, but, yeah, the price catches up too quick so, for, for online benefits. But if you can come here, you can still benefit from it. So I wanted to do to say one thing about this. Um, I totally agree. I think skipping the big cities, especially the cities that have GP events, um, are probably a good idea. I recommend going to the off the beaten path places. You know, cities that don't really have those big magic events, but have magic stores or. You know, maybe like you need to have a car to go to. I found some amazing deals. That's a lot to ask um, for someone who's traveling abroad from abroad, though. I mean, yeah, well, I'm saying like if if you're taking the train uh, from like you know Osaka to Kobe, or if you're you're taking the train from uh, you know Tokyo to Shizuoka or something like that, you can stop. You can take the local train and kind of stop along the way and check out some of the local stores in the area. That's so you're a, still going the same way. That is a good point. Uh, the uh, MTG store locator, which is from, th- from through the mo- mothership, it does actually cover stores in Japan. 
Uh, like you can copy and paste yeah. the address, throw it in a Google Maps, and it'll show you where it is, and you can go there. And uh, I used to hit, I used to hit up smaller cities uh, in my younger days for for good deals. Uh, like in Aichi, there's a place called Toyohashi. It's our sister city. It's very tiny, mm-hmm. and but they've got like three stores. And again, it's yeah. it's in the geek area, and they've got really good deals because it's it's off the beaten path. And and also a lot of these stores aren't magic stores, so as far as like they don't care about the the prices as much. Mm-hmm. So they're very slow. So yes, the hallelujahs and the big magics and whatever, they're going to change their, their prices very quickly. Uh, but these other places that, you know, where Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh is more popular, they're just going to put their magic cards off to his, a corner mm. and you can find some really good deals. That's why it's always worth kind of checking out those places, I think. Okay. Come, um, come get lost in Japan. That, that, that's that's yes. Ryan's advice. <laughs> So last topic I'd like to th- actually there's two topics but one thing I want to talk about the history uh, about is the uh, the GP vendor history and maybe uh, Ed can kind of comment on this a little bit Re- until recently you weren't able to buy sorry you weren't able to sell cards at a Grand Prix to v- two vendors you're still not allowed to sell them one on one yeah but- of course <laughs> well when when I when I say sell to to vendors. Yeah, so yeah. When I say sell to GP, I mean sell to vendors. Yeah. And this has always been a thing in the USA. But this has been a thing for years. So, Ed, do you know any details about that? Uh, I believe it was due to certain laws that were in place that prevent, again, it, uh, Japan's very strict when it comes to the buying of secondhand goods, which is, you mm-hmm. know, what magic singles are. Um, so, I like, it was obviously a recent development. Uh, I think the first time they, uh, this is a second. It's been three shows now. The first time was in GP Shizuoka mm-hmm. at the end of last year. That was mm-hmm. the um, doubleheader with both Legacy and Standard uh, GP. That mm-hmm. was the first time that that was allowed. And from my understanding, that was very much a last-minute change as well. Um, uh, Big Magic didn't actually know that it was going to be allowed, I think, like, I want to say it was like two to three weeks before the event or something, so that obviously... Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of stores were obviously in a huge bind about that. Obviously, um, some of these stores, especially the smaller ones, they don't have kind of the same experience buying because obviously in order to buy now, you need people that actually have um, that buying experience. Obviously, you need someone that's mm-hmm. knowledgeable about magic. Um, obviously, there are some stores... Somebody that can grade as well. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Obviously, some stores can kind of circumvent this by just having a buy list on a spreadsheet in place beforehand. But obviously, with a lot, of, especially with a lot of the bigger vendors, they they want people there who they're able to deal with the higher end cards. Obviously, you don't want to lose business because someone walks up with a dual land, and you have no one on hand who can buy it. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously, that kind of like put a lot of stores in a bind. Um, a lot of the more successful vendors, um, they do have people that are traveling internationally. They know how to deal with foreigners. They know how to be able to you know buy cards quickly. Um, mm-hmm. So that was kind of um, the uh, the beginning of the buying process, and like obviously with each passing sh- passing show, uh, the buying has kind of started to come in line with what um, with what GPs in America, what GPs in Europe look like. In that, mm-hmm. um, in the first show, not many people had hot lists, which are you know they use they take a dry race board, they say hey we're paying top dollar on these cards, come sell us these cards. With the hope that if you're going to sit down and sell them those cards, that they'll be able to buy more more cards from you. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And now that you know it's been, there's been three shows. Um, I want to say at this last show in Yokohama, almost every vendor had a hot list available. Um, yeah. So, and this is obviously this is the type of uh, trend that quick that catches on very quickly. And I can only imagine that you know one or two more shows, it like. Um, these things will just be the norm. Every place will just have, you know, someone that can buy quickly, hot lists, etc. It has this been a good development? You think? Um, I think it has. I think it's one of those things that's it's good for, um, it's good. It's good for the players. Um, obviously, just having mm-hmm. kind of more options, more information, is um, isn't that positive for the players? Obviously, it's harder for the vendors because they can see that, you know, my competitor down there is paying this much. If I realistically mm-hmm. want to get copies of that card, I need to be paying at least, I need to be at least matching them type thing. Mm-hmm. So um, it's hard for the vendors, it's good for the players. In the same way that at GPs, 
Um, people want to see, people want to go to a GP as a consumer to have a lot of vendors there, right? You have more options, you have more cards, you have more places to buy, more places to sell. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just obviously much rougher for the vendors because that just means that each additional store that is there, they're just taking a little bit away of the market share that you would otherwise be getting. Yeah. So, um, Dan, I, do you want to say something? I haven't been to a Magic Fest of GP in, in quite a while, and but I do know that they implemented a very strict trading guideline. There was like an area that you had to go to for trading, and they only allowed so many people in it to trade. Do they still have that system in place, or have they done away with it? No, no, that that ended. I think probably around the time that they switched to the the vendor system. Okay, so you're allowed to trade. Not the vendor, but the uh, buy the vendor's buying system. Okay, so so you can trade anywhere on the floor now in, at at the Magic yeah. Fest Japan. Okay, that's I good. I believe so, right. but I think they have like rules or something like. Uh, I forgot. I saw something at the last one saying, like, if you did this and this, you'll be asked to leave and you won't be able to come back. But something regarding trading, but I, I didn't take a picture. Okay. But, I, I think that's just kind of um, in more regards to a general channel fireball rule, like no predatory trading. Um, yeah. If they see you kind of, you know, setting up shop, right, you have, you know, in the U.S. it used to be a common thing for a lot of floor grinders, big guys, they would just have two or three of them set up with, like, 10 binders and basically set up yeah. their own booth. Um, you, you always know yeah. them when they're walking around with their little, their, 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 their pull luggage. Right, right. Huh. Um, and I think that's just kind of a general, you know, CFB policy just to avoid, um, you know, these trading practices that they just kind of want to protect, protect their vendors, make sure that, you know, there's nothing mm-hmm. shady or um, going on. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I think we got one more topic and then we can call it a day. I'm, I'm very excited about you guys. I, I'm glad we're not skipping. I'm very excited about this one. Yes. Yeah, so last topic I wanted to talk about today was the Japanese pack only planeswalkers. I wanted to get your guys' initial reactions on on this announcement. You know, there's there, it, people are fifty fifty on it uh, online and uh, in the podcast and, and around, around the world, and either they love them. Or they, the, or the idea of it, or they hate it because of the way the cards look. But I'm by, I'm, I am not unknown to manga and anime. I, I, I quite enjoy it. But even, even if I didn't, I would still appreciate the art on these cards because I don't feel mm-hmm. like all of them really go in for that anime look. There are some cards there that are just good art. Yeah. So you think they'll be popular oh. overall? <laughs> oh my god! They'll be demands. I'll let Ed speak to this, but yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think like just far and away the volume uh, of demand has just—it's certainly imp- unprecedented when it in regards when it comes to Japanese product. Um, mm-hmm. Japanese product has kind of just kind of gone through uh, a kind of a boom and bust cycle, as it were. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, when years and years ago, before um, before the markets kind of became homogenized. Um, Japanese foils, there used to be huge premium on them. People always sought out mm-hmm. Japanese versions as the coolest version for their cards. Um, that's kind of gone by the wayside, especially since they started to make Japanese product available in America at one point. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. last year, once Wizards, they stopped selling product directly. Um, you have to go through a distributor in order to buy sealed product now. Um, a lot of distributors have slowly pulled back on the amount of sealed product for foreign languages that they have um, because it just doesn't move quite as well. Um, the novelty is mm-hmm. there, but it's much harder to sell your foreign cards. Um, a lot of stores, they don't really have a buy list on them. They're not really keen on buying them because it's hard to list online on their own website through TG Player, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as a result, stores, distributors have just slowly started to kind of pull back on what they have available and now all of a sudden like boom you know wizards drops drops this and everyone is wanting it and then now it's just you know not available um for a lot of stores because distributors like i said because most stores pulled back on how much they ordered distributors have pulled back on how much they have in stock and how much they ordered from Mm -hmm. uh from wizard close directly and, and then I, as soon as they announced it, I think a lot of the big stores swooped in in America and snatched up whatever little bit of boxes the distributors had. So I think the, a lot of the mom and pops can't get their hands on Japanese boxes right now in the States. Yeah. Yep. 
might take a while to, to get them. Yep, absolutely. Ed, on the last episode of Cartel Aristocrats this week, I think you mentioned that you were offering to hunt down full play sets for people at for a price. I did, yes. Um, I have someone bringing copies to me in uh, Madison, which is why I'm. Mm-hmm. he says, hey, I can guarantee you this many sets. Um, you know, just start pre-selling them, get the information out there. Um, a lot of people have hit me have hit me up with um, buying them. I actually think I've gone through most of them, um, mm-hmm. and I think people are starting to catch on like how how actually difficult these are going to be to find. Um, now that it's we can, fit, it's 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 fifty percent of the packs in Japan will 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 contain an alternate yeah. art Japanese walker yeah. so so out of a 36 pack booster box you'll get 18, have 18 yeah. chance yeah yeah I've... um I, so yeah um i heard that uh, tokyo mtg opened a foil liliana which is done by yoshitaka amano it's it, which is it's the chase one let's all admit the amano yeah liliana I, I, is the think, chase. I think they're asking like 500 dollars for it or something that sounds like about that. right <laughs> no that's crazy no they're asking for more um I think more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now that I think starting price was like five hundred, six hundred, maybe. Yep. Now that kind of the information is out there, stores are starting to get their product in. Um, I think Haru posted online that their buy list is fifty thousand mm-hmm. yen, which is about four hundred. Wow. Yeah. That that's our buy list. Wow. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, okay. So let's let's do a top five. Last thing we do. Top five. What do you think are going to be the most popular? Well, besides Liliana, Japanese number one. So. Yeah, Liliana is number one. Pretty sure. So, what are your other four? Oh, uh, God. Um, obviously, Liliana is like their breadwinner. Um, I will say, like some of the arts had like very um, kind of a very unique feel. I think, like I remember thinking, Sorn the art was like particularly sweet. It kind of, it really encapsulated. Like, an- yeah. like anime art, as it were. If right? I like, if I yeah. could jump into there, uh, Soren and Nahidi were both uh, both done by Yukie Tajima, and uh, the artwork really lines up with itself. If you look closely at those two cards, you can tell that they are actually facing each other in a duel. Ah. And of all those cards, that those those are the only two that really focus that, that really take the story of of the War of the Spark and apply it really beautifully and. Uh, uh, Soren himself looks like he was drawn by the guy who does Vampire Hunter D. It's very classic. I love those two cards. Yeah. Okay, so Soren, yes. Soren's on my list. You guys also agree, Soren? Yeah, Soren. Yep, Soren is definitely there. Okay. All right, so what other what other ones are on your top five? I think Sahili the- by Hisashi Momos, uh, will, yeah. Momose will be probably the best-looking one in foil because it's so colorful. Yeah, I like that one too. I I could see that. How about you, Ed? Uh, yeah, I think the, like those were the ones that like in particular stood out to me. Uh, both I actually did not notice that about uh, and Soren. That actually just makes it that much cooler. Um, I'm a little underwhelmed by some of them. Like I'm a little underwhelmed by the Karn, by the Ugin. Um, Ugin's awful. It is so bad. Right. It just. I think the Nicole Nic- Nicol Bolas is a lot worse, though. I think. Oh, sorry. I was thinking of Nicol Bolas. Ugin's. Yeah, Ugin's not great, but Nicol Bolas. Okay. Ooh, yeah. Nicol Bolas. Yeah. yeah. Mainly, most of them, it doesn't doesn't feel like there's enough of like, like visually, like this is a cool difference type thing. Kind of the same way that you know Sora and Nahiri, Sahili, they kind of they're much more vibrant. They're much again. They kind of encapsulate like the anime. Sarkhan. I don't. Sarkhan's on my list. What do you guys think of Sarkhan? I not, his art's pretty cool. I think. I do not remember the art for Sword Card off the top of my head, unfortunately. It's it's not it's not bad. It's it's not my favorite, but it's not bad. It's like red and blue and black kind mm-hmm. of. It's kind of because you know he's kind of like that multicolor. Maybe it's more like tamer yeah. colors now. Uh, but I think it's good. I, it'd be in my top five. I like Vivian. Uh, read by Hisashi, also by Hisashi Momose, the 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 person who does uh, Sahili. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of these cards. It's really cool how they they explore the outside the boundary art. And I feel like Viv- the Vivian one really takes the most advantage of that when she's shooting her arrow and the blue, the blue uh, energy is flowing out past the border. Mm-hmm. It's, it, again, that's going to look amazing uh, in foil. Okay. Any others, Ed, that you think would be in your top five? I I, I don't, honestly. I, I remember looking at the art and just kind of thinking, like, man, these are cool. Um, yeah. And I just, you know, just kind of like, I shouldn't say dismiss it, but just kind of just put it to the side because that was... You know, it wasn't really what I was thinking about at the time. Um, mm. But, like, again, I just remember thinking, like, this is definitely a very cool um, a very cool novelty to add in. I think it's one of those things that 
you know, will definitely be a huge hit. And obviously, mm-hmm. one of the things that they've done a good job at kind of just like put adding that like wow factor to um, yeah. mm-hmm. the set itself. These are going to be so popular. It's going to be nuts. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's a, a good place to to end it guys thank you for coming on today ed um is there anything else you want to say do you want to maybe give us a little more detail about cartel aristocrats before we leave uh again i think i kind of summed it up towards the beginning we record every monday 7 p.m eastern time that's usually our target um sometimes we push it back because sometimes monday is a travel day for me and i just can't make the recording um Mm -hmm. beyond that uh you guys can follow us on twitter for that um at cartel underscore finance you guys can follow me on twitter at at win 13 um i'm at most events obviously um i had the pleasure of meeting ryan in yokohama um we went out to lunch and chat for a bit that was very cool i'm still holding out to meet dan at some point um i'm so <laughs> jealous man I've, I've known you longer through your website and we've communicated and and ryan gets to meet you first man when you <laughs> when are you going to come to nagoya actually you came to nagoya and i was too busy to see yeah i suck i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> me last time yeah, yeah no no not at all well there's 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 gonna be another event next year maybe yeah I, i've definitely been trying to like give my like give myself some actual time in japan to go do more than just like magic 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 grand prix and then leave that's mm-hmm. that's kind of just what i've done since i've come to japan um yeah so at some point i'll kind of give myself some time to like you know sightsee visit other people etc so. That's actually a really good point to anyone who is coming over over here to do magic. Save some time for the sightseeing because it is really yes. glorious here. It is. We will do future podcasts about that. Mm. And if people um, want, if people want to get a hold of you for uh, for arbitrage, I'm sorry, or you know arbitrage, or you know buying cards, how how how's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, so I'm really bad at this. I will wholly admit. Um, a lot of people, you know, message me on Twitter or tweet at me on Twitter at Edwin13. Um, uh, I have my settings set so that if I'm not following you or you're not following me, I guess, um, it actually goes to my inbox and it puts it in a request box that I don't actually mm. that don't actually see. It actually doesn't give me <laughs> it doesn't give me a notification for. Um, so mm. if I, I I should apologize. There have been people who sent me messages I literally did not see for months later because I'm really bad mm. about checking that. Um, I'm at most events, so people can you know feel free to chat with me in person. I'm always happy to uh, talk to people. There's a lot of listeners for various things that just come up and said, mm-hmm. like, um, like they appreciate the podcasts. And then, you know, because I travel so much, I have a chance to meet a lot of people, which is very cool. That's definitely one of the bonuses of traveling as much as I do. Um, I, uh, I okay. usually post stuff on the Facebook pages that I'm trying to, you know, dump as well. People can message me on there mm-hmm. if they have questions or they want me if they're trying to find something. I'm more or less all over social media. Very cool. Okay. How about you, Dan? Is there any way to contact you yet? Actually, I have re- for the show. I have. I'm sorry. I have reactivated my D, my uh, my my uh, Twitter account. So I am at nice. DJ Dij. That's DJ Dij. Uh, you can shoot at me if you've got questions or comments for the show, and we will read them on the air for you as long as uh, they are. I, I feel like we're a PG show, so keep it so keep it clean, folks. Keep it clean. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Um, and again, everybody, if you're following me, uh, my Twitter is Yoshwanky, and my website is www.thejapanhobbyist.com. Um, so yeah, that's going to do it for today's show. We hope you enjoyed listening about uh, MTG Finance in Japan, and uh, hopefully you'll, you'll come back for our, our next show. Like I think I said earlier, we're going to try to do this uh twice a month mm-hmm. so the next one should be maybe uh, in may sometime yeah sounds good um yeah and if you have any comments or suggestions anything like that just give one of us uh, a shout out ed big thanks all again right. for doing this for us i know you're all the way in london for the for the for the uh the, the big the big championship big championship yeah so uh, good luck with that no not at unless all. and let us know how it all goes on the next cartel aristocrats of course thank you for having me on guys i really appreciate it all right. Signing off. See ya. Sayonara.